This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Today is July 21st, 2022. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. Hi there, uh, Stephen Oling, and I was at Hofstra from 1987 until 1991. Okay, and what programs or shows uh, or departments did you work in? I would uh, say that early on, sort of a jack-of-all-trades um, combination of you know, board hopping shows, um, hosting classics from Hofstra, but uh, my primary uh, role at the station was working in the sports department. Okay. Did you work on any music shows uh, other than the classics, or did you do any of the weekend programs? I did um, produce or board up, and I'm, I'm blanking on the name of it. There was a an Irish couple that that had a show on the weekends, so I would produce that. Um, I would do very limited number of uh, of the music shows because that wasn't my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I said, sort of uh, par for the course um, was doing the classics from Hofstra a couple of mornings a week, and that was co- kind of the uh, core focus of what I did. Okay. And I think you were thinking of Tony and Maureen Jackson in Irish country. That was, that was exactly it. <laughs> that was okay. definitely it. Okay. Did you have any titles or positions of management at the station? Uh, my senior year, I was the sports director. Okay. Um, when you were on the air, did you use your own name? Did you have any nicknames or aliases? On air, I just used my own name, um, just within the uh, four walls of the building. Um, one of my mentors, Stu Rushfield, once upon a time penned my nickname as being El Gato, uh, which emanated from some, uh, you know, just some pickup softball games. And I happened to be the pitcher, and I caught a comeback line drive one time, and he said I was quick as a cat or something to that effect. And from that point forward, he just called me El Gato. So. Some folks within the the ranks of RHU would call me that, but as far as on air, no, it was nothing, uh, nothing like that. That's a great nickname. It's a it's a great story. Um, so let's go back in time a little bit. Uh, I'm always curious at what it is that brought you to the station, and then if you could give us sort of a mental picture or uh, you know describe what the station was like, where it was, maybe some of the people that you met when you first got down to WRHU. Yeah, sure. I mean, I know a lot of people, there's there's oftentimes these uh, fairs or, you know, formal club activities, you know, when you first get to school and, you know, you kind of can weed your way through it and, and see what's kind of your interest level. I, I was a little bit different in that I didn't get wind of the station through any sort of formal um, opportunities. Mm-hmm. I was sort of uh, floating somewhat aimlessly for about a semester and a half as a freshman uh, knowing that I wanted to work in in media in a sports capacity at some point, but fell into a little bit of the you know freshman trap of uh, you know partying a little bit too much and studying a little bit too little, and not really focused on the career career path. And um, uh, ultimately, about midway through second semester, I just sort of made the conscious choice that I got to start buckling down a little bit and and get involved in something towards what I wanted to do for my career. So I just sort of did a drop in at the station. Um, 
just to see what it was. Was there any opportunity? Were there any openings? You know, sort of how did it work in general? And I don't concretely remember who I met that first day, but eventually I got uh, routed to uh, Stu Rushfield, who was heading up the sports department at the time. And sort of toward the tail end of that uh, freshman year, he invited me to come observe um, a radio broadcast of a lacrosse game. And that's what I did. And that's sort of where it began for me. Okay. So you found your way down, I guess it would have been the basement of Memorial Hall to the, to yeah. the office that first time you went down? Yeah, I was very familiar with Bits and Bites, which was right above it, obviously, a good place to eat. Um, but uh, as far as uh, the radio location, that was uh, that was news to me that that's where it was located. But uh, obviously, that's where it was. And that's, you know, I just vividly remember, you know, one big office where sort of all the various groups and departments and people running the station were situated. And then obviously, the subsequent hallway that led down a little ramp to a little back area where all the studios were located. Okay. Um, so once you got down there and you met Stu and, and you get this experience, were you, uh, were there training classes? Were there announcing and engineering classes that you did, or were you just sort of learning by osmosis and experience? I would say definitely more the latter for me. Um, like I said, I observed, um, the lacrosse production, and spent the balance of that semester observing. Um, the, I didn't take formal radio production classes. I just sort of learned by doing. Um, and, you know, it was something that was sort of in my comfort zone, in my wheelhouse. And, and I think I picked up on it fairly quickly. So you mentioned the observing the lacrosse game. Were you in the on-air studio or you with the broadcasters who were at the field? I was in the control room in the in the studio, um, in the in the basement there of Memorial Hall. So, you know, at the time, obviously, it's a different world. You know, the giant uh, circular pots or potentiometers, you know, to control the various levels and and that sort of stuff. So I was just kind of, you know, where the carts went, you know, before the the world of uh, you know complete uh, digital. So you know, it was carts and and. Uh, managing the audio levels and all that sort of stuff from a, from a production standpoint, rolling the commercials where needed and, and music beds and, and that sort of stuff was kind of the, you know, ground zero as it were of, of learning how to, how to do that sort of thing. Okay. So, so this was still with, I guess it was the old Gates board with the turn pots, like you're saying before the, the, the slider faders came in, that would yep. have been probably a couple of years later. Yep, most definitely. In fact, in my tenure there, I don't think that conversion had happened yet. Okay. Um, did you have any experience with radio before coming to Hofstra, or did you have any idea of what a radio station would look like before coming down for that observation? I didn't have any experience, <clears throat> excuse me, prior to that. Um, I had a, a fairly vivid idea as to what it would kind of be like, and, and it sort of met those credentials and criteria. Um, but I wouldn't say there was any big surprises as far as what it looked like or, or, you know, the general operation of it when I got down there. Okay. Um, so you talk about, you know, the hands-on learning and, and getting to know the sports department. Do you remember any of your other first experiences or, or, or getting to a game and, uh, 
either helping with the equipment or seeing what the setup was like? How did you learn how to do the things that the sports department needed to do to put on a game? Yeah, it was, uh, you know, that, that was a little bit, uh, more involved. Um, you know, a couple of, uh, you know, I mentioned Stu, Steve Goldman was also a big help to me and mentor of mine. He was a year ahead of me. Uh, Tony Sabella was another guy who, uh, helped uh, show the ropes, Marshall Hausfeld, probably some guys you've talked to prior, um, mm-hmm. for this project. But, um, you know, I, I remember being a bit overwhelmed when, like, we would have to go to uh, Hofstra Stadium and lug up a giant uh, box of sort of equipment. I believe it was called Telco. And, you know, you had to plug in that sort of gear into the various appropriate locations and test it out and hit this button and that button. And I just vividly remember in the football stadium having to climb up sort of a ladder to get into the broadcast booth while lugging this 30, 40 pound box of equipment with you, which was, you know, not fun, not easy, <laughs> but sort of a, you know, a requirement for the job. Um, and then obviously doing that the first time and, and seeing, you know, the, the prearranged setup and wiring and everything like that, that went smoothly. As far as for basketball games, when we were doing it at the then, Physical Fitness Center, PFC, um, there was a similar deal where we had to um, go underneath the stands and find this little wire attachment uh, set up underneath the stands up against a wall. And basically we would spend uh, the rest of those days when we were broadcasting games praying that the uh, that the setup would work and hold up. And, you know, when you would check in with the studio, they would hear you and you would hear them. So you could hear studio updates and all that sort of stuff. So it was definitely a bigger, bigger learning curve to to actually set up the remote operation from site, whether it was our football stadium or the basketball arena. I'd like to go back for a second to uh, talking about the football stadium and you talk about climbing up the ladder in and in my mind, I picture a ladder that's straight up and down and you're sort of lugging this metal case. And, and I know there were, there was sort of the Marty case, which was a rather large square case, but I think what you guys had was a smaller case, but still you're, you're kind of, uh, I, I have this vision of, of, uh, death defying antics. Is that exaggerated? Not exaggerated. And, you know, throw into the equation that, you know, you try to look the part of a professional, so, you know, there would be maybe not a full suit and tie, but you're also not wearing, you know, shorts and a tank top to, to call these games. You know, I try to go dress shirt, sport coat, you know, slacks or something. So, you know, yeah. So you're trying not to ruin the one suit you have because, you know, that's pretty much all you had in college. Right. And um, yeah, it was literally a um, vertical staircase. You know, you're fitting through a tiny shaft. It's, you know, almost like a firehouse situation here without the pole, but you're climbing up a ladder. Uh, Like I said, a fairly heavy, you know, case that you can't drop because there's no backup equipment if this thing drops and smashes. Um, So, yeah, so that that's a pretty accurate, accurate portrayal of the challenge of uh, bringing the equipment, especially to the football stadium. Was there ever a moment where you, you, you looked around and thought, what the heck am I doing? Or was it just like, this is fun. This is a challenge. Let's do it. Uh, I loved it. I loved every second of it. It was fun. It was what I wanted to be doing. Um, you know, Hofstra athletics obviously is, uh, 
you know, small scale. It wasn't, uh, you know, calling Michigan, Ohio State. But for me, it was. That was my Michigan, Ohio State. You know, uh, you know, Hofstra football was okay at the time. Uh, we were Division Three, um, and they played a lot of schools that no one heard of um, and probably has never heard of to this day. But to me, it was the Super Bowl every every Saturday that we called the game or Friday, whatever the case might be. And and basketball was also, you know, a great thrill. You know, I never, never thought of it as uh, small potatoes. I loved every minute of it and, you know, miss it to this day. Hmm. I, I know I've talked to other members of the sports department who have expressed the idea that they were they realized that they were ambassadors of the station and of the school. And you mentioned showing up in, if not a suit, a shirt and tie, or, or, or at least looking presentable. Was there, was there anyone who kind of pulled you aside and said, Hey, make sure you dress the part or was it something that you picked up on or was it your own idea? It was just an observation. That's how I saw people doing it. And I liked it. And then even if you saw other schools would come by, it would be the same sort of model. So, mm-hmm. It was just the way of the world, and you know, it was just easy to assimilate into that and and doing that and, and picking it up from there. Okay, um, some people have very vivid memories of their first time on the air, and other people, it's just sort of a vague recollection. Uh, whatever comes to mind. Do you remember getting on the air the first couple of times, or was there a particular incident where you were brand new and you were either? really nervous or scared or really feeling good about it? What was, what was it like getting on the air? Uh, all of the above. Is that, is that a choice on here? Um, <laughs> Check all the boxes and then explain yeah. your answer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, well, I don't know how, I don't have an essay for you, but I, I mean, yeah, I, I was nervous and excited and terrified and comfortable all, all rolled into one. My first time on air. Um, Again, I don't know if it's chicken or the egg. I'm, I'm sure I was on air for some uh, other assignments, non-sports related. Um, the, the, the funny story I always bring up because it's sort of a family joke uh, all these many years later. But as mentioned, we all had to do the, the classics from Hofstra. And, you know, I sort of always had a, a sports announcer's mentality and energy and presentation and enthusiasm. And when you're doing the classics, and that's, you know, doing the classics from Hofstra is a completely different animal. It's early in the morning. It's material that obviously is not, uh, that comes naturally. And my brother, who's four years older than me, he would never really take the time to listen to me on the air, except this one time he caught me doing the classics from Hofstra. And, you know, he got a big chuckle out of me trying to sound professional, saying, ah, beautiful piece by Gennady Razdazvensky. But I'm saying it kind of in a sportscaster's way with like uh-huh. high energy when it's supposed to be like, you know, more probably mellow and appropriate to the, to the music that's being played and not like someone's hitting a three pointer to win the game. So that always stands out as an early memory of doing that show. And, and I'll never forget Gennady Razdazvensky as a result of that. Um, I also remember just doing some news updates, you know, in the old classic rip and read sort of style um, you know, do a little bit of self-writing and correcting. And then, you know, some half times and some pregame shows for our games, updating scores, giving, you know, some items and news uh, affiliated with the game. Do I remember which came first? Long answer to your short question. I don't remember which came first. They all sort of morphed together. Okay, that's fair. Um, 
Do you remember any of the early games that you got to uh, to either call or participate in? I remember um, what stands out is that while we didn't have a significantly high budget for the sports department, you know, we probably had a couple grand a year to play with. And, you know, you had to pay uh, schools to get their phone lines to set up the equipment. And there was a little bit of a fee for our own games at home. Uh, but we would always manage to carve out uh, enough money uh, to go with the basketball team on um, a trip, a road trip that the team had during the holiday season. Usually most basketball teams take a trip during December break. And I remember taking two in particular. The first was uh, an interesting combination where the team played at the University of San Diego, which was obviously you know sensational weather and a ton mm-hmm. of fun. And the game was on New Year's Eve, and reports back were that everyone might have been uh, enjoying themselves a little bit back here on the island. And I'm not even sure if the game got on the air, because I'm not (laughs) sure if the board ops were in a condition to put it on the air. Um, And we went from San Diego, which was, you know, 75 and beautiful, up to Spokane, Washington uh, for Gonzaga before Gonzaga became Gonzaga on a basketball level. And it was about 18 below. and I'm sure we had the same issues with, uh, again, to this day, I couldn't tell you if those games even made air, but I know we were out there calling them. So hopefully they made it on the air back here. And then the uh, second trip we made was down to Lakeland, Florida, uh, which was a lot of fun because in between calling games, we, we went to Bush Gardens. And uh, so th- those are two trips uh, as far as calling games meshed in with having a lot of fun that really stand out in my memory. Those are some pretty great experiences. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad they, they stuck with you because uh, I'm sure there were really good times. And I, I'm sure you could go on with, with stories that, that maybe aren't for air. But uh, from what I understand, the sports guys uh, often had a pretty good time on those trips. It was uh, it was definitely a lot of fun. Let's leave it at that. Yes. Fair enough. Fair enough. Let's protect the, uh, the innocent and the guilty. Um, <laughs> You mentioned some names earlier, Stu Rushfield, uh, Tony Sibilla. Who were some other people who helped you get comfortable at the station in, in either being on the air or just being at the station and, and being in the office and being in the studios? Yeah, uh, Steve Goldman um, and Stu, by the way, still people I keep in touch with. Uh, Andrew Schmertz is, uh, is one of my best friends. And, you know, we grew up through the ranks there together. Uh, Rich Radabali was a guy I was very close with. In fact, we were we were roommates um, for a spell there at Hofstra. So he was important to, to my growth there. Um, uh, oh boy, Charlie Cusimano was a great, great guy that I occasionally keep in touch with via you know social media. Dave Wilkie is one of my best friends. He was sort of a late comer to the station, but he joined the sports department uh for like his uh, last year and and we're very good friends to this day. So, you know, that's just off the top of my head. Um, Just a lot of names and most of whom are still people I am in steady contact with. That's great. Um, It seems like you, once you got down to the station, you felt pretty comfortable there and it seems like you got pretty comfortable doing the games right away. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Like I said, that was, my wheelhouse, that was sort of what I was most comfortable and I felt came most naturally to me doing. So, you know, by my sophomore year, I was in the rotation of calling games. By my junior year, I was 
calling, you know, bigger and better games. And then, you know, senior year, like I said, I was, I was lucky enough to be the sports director. Do you recall any interactions or, or first meeting Jeff Krause? Uh, Cause I like to talk about him and, and give a sense of uh, he came off oftentimes as an imposing figure, but a lot of people have great stories about him being very supportive and, and, and a good teacher or mentor. So do you remember meeting Jeff or, or anybody else uh you know, who, who might've been, uh, at the station at the time? Uh, you know, as far as an initial meeting, I don't recall that off the top of my head, but obviously a larger than life figure at the station. And the one story I always like to bring up about Jeff, uh, to this day, um, is that when we would do non sports content, whether it was reading news or, you know, hosting a show or any of that stuff, I always remember this one, uh, example of kind of what Jeff was like. Um, and I'm sure this was me, him criticizing me one time, but I was probably doing a news report of some sort and a story of Iran came up. And of course, on the air, I said, Iran. And I remember Jeff in his very distinct voice saying, Iran is a pronoun and a verb. The country is Iran. So uh, that is always the memory I have of Jeff. Very detail-oriented very much uh, pushing people to be as professional as possible and to be as good as possible on the air. And and that story always sticks out to me. Yeah, I can hear his voice in, in, in your impression. And, and I know that that feeling of you, you feel that moment where it's like, oh, no, I'm in trouble. But then you realize, no, he's he's helping you become a more professional broadcaster. He's helping you hone your skills. And it's 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 a fine line. And once you realize that uh, it sort of changes the relationship with him, I guess. It does. And you quickly learn that uh, he's in your corner and, you know, you, you, you take all the advice you can get from him. Um, we, we have the benefit of hindsight of, of looking back. Uh, at your time at the station, and, and obviously you have these these great friendships which have lasted uh, these many years. Uh, people that you still keep in touch with. So it's easy to look back and say this is this is what the station was, and this is what it meant to me. But I'm going to ask you to try to go back to that freshman year, maybe that that uh, the end of that first semester when you're thinking about getting down to the station and going down there uh, underneath bits and bytes in Memorial Hall. At that moment in time what did you hope the radio station would mean for you and what did it actually become? At the time, I I think I would just hoped it would be something I could put on my resume to show to prospective employers that I did it while I was at school. Um, What I didn't realize is that it would become a love, you know, just something that while I was there for four years, or in this case, three and a half at the station thereabouts, like I was just, it was just a magnet. Like I couldn't do anything without being involved in the station. And, you know, the vast majority of social activities involve people from the station. And it was just a total passion project from day one. Hmm. That's great. And I love that, that you frame a lot of your stories. You know, these, these are stories that I always think of, or I always tell, or, or people in, in my family know this story because obviously it meant a lot to you then. And it still means a lot to you now. That's, that's great. I love the way you frame that. It really does. I mean, it never, it never leaves you. I mean, you know, uh, and just 
you know, bracing for our, our chat here today. I was just kind of taking a trip down memory lane because it's not something that comes up every day. But, you know, the more I you know thought about it, you know, sort of the memories come flooding back. Well, Stephen, this is this has been great. This has been really a lot of fun to hear your stories and your recollections. And hopefully we've we've shaken loose a few more stories and maybe we can do this again sometime. Be happy to join you again. It was fun.